Well, this is an eye-popping new study. Canada, on average, experiencing warming at twice the rate as the rest of the world. Just let that sink in for a second. We are experiencing global warming at twice the rate of the rest of the world. And in fact, this report says that northern Canada is heating up at almost three times the global average. The study was done by Canada's Changing Climate Report, and it was commissioned by Environment and Climate uh, Change Canada. And it says that since 1948, Canada's annual average temperature over land has warmed by 1.7 degrees centigrade, with higher rates seen in the north, the prairies, and northern B.C. Let's welcome in uh, Danny Harvey. He's a professor at the U of T in the Department of Geography and Planning, and he joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Danny, good afternoon. Appreciate you joining us. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, first off, uh, just how shocked were you to see this this report that says we're warming at twice the rate of the of the rest of the world? Well, actually, I wasn't shocked at all because it's been predicted by computer climate models and climate scientists since about the mid 1970s that northern regions and especially Arctic regions are going to warm a lot more than the world average. So, so this is what scientists have been saying all along. Okay, and is this uh, man-made, do we know? I mean, if you say that uh, the handwriting has been on the wall since the 1970s, is this something that uh, could have been, should have been avoided? Well, yeah. I mean, there were clear warning signs in the 1970s and even more strongly in the 1980s by the scientists that, you know, we're in for big changes of climate and it's not good. And if we'd been a little bit more rational, you know, we would have started taking some strong action in the 1980s. Um, And then yet here we are in the 2010s, almost 2020, and we still have certain politicians in a total state of denial. Sure. And when you say we should have taken much stronger action in the 1980s, uh, what sort of action? What should have we been doing in your estimation? Okay, so... I sh- we should have been taking some action in the 1980s. We weren't taking any, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, back then, you know, we knew a lot about energy efficiency. I mean, automobile fuel efficiency increased sharply during the 1970s in response to the Arab oil embargo and the price spikes. And then nothing happened for 25 years, but technology continued to improve. But it, was, it went into making cars heavier and faster, accelerating, not in making them more efficient. So we basically lost 25 years. Is that something that government, you think, should have played more of a role in? Uh, I mean, you talk about uh, technology. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes companies are looking more at the bottom line. And, uh, you know, R&D development, that uh, research and development uh, takes money. It cuts away from the uh, the bottom line. But uh, when you tell companies they have to reach, uh, I don't know, a certain emission level in this case by, uh, by a certain date or they can no longer sell their product, does that spur them then to, to get this uh, sort of thing done? Well, absolutely. I mean, government regulations has been a, um, it's been, it's stimulated innovation, right? And so we need, we need regulations for cars, trucks, buildings, appliances, and we also need strategic government investments, not in pipelines, not in energy sources that have no future, but we need investments in things like a high voltage DC transmission grid across the country to link high-quality wind and solar and hydro resources so that we can get fossil fuels out of the electricity supply. And, and, and then it makes sense to move eventually to electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you know, I was a little shocked to, to see this a report come out uh, yesterday, particularly in light of the uh, carbon tax uh, coming to fruition in uh, this province and uh, three others, uh, Danny, because, you know, uh, some of the arguments you hear against the uh, carbon tax is that, uh, listen, we don't need to price pollution here. It's an unnecessary tax that uh, we are basically just a little uh, micro spec when it comes to emissions, uh, when you consider them uh, worldwide. And then you see a report like this that says we're warming at twice the rate as the rest of the world. Well, this just shows what clowns these politicians are and how they're in a state of denial, and they're putting their perceived political interests ahead of the public interest. Okay, but uh, let me ask you this, since we're kind of going down this road when it comes to the carbon tax, uh, I think those that are opposed to it, it's not that you know they're necessarily climate change deniers, but uh, they think that there's a better way that maybe we should, you know, you're just talking about uh, innovation, incentivizing uh, companies to innovate, incentivizing them to uh, pollute less and to use technologies uh, to pollute less rather than, uh, you know, penalizing uh, them and everybody else with a tax. Well... Well, to, to, to continue the example with cars, if you make the car three times more efficient, then you can charge three times the price of gasoline, and it still costs the same amount to drive the same, the same distance. But first of all, you don't have to fill up. You know, you're filling up one-third as many times because you're going a lot further on a tank, and you're producing a lot less greenhouse gases. But in order for people to want to buy these fuel-efficient cars, you know, they need the economic incentive. I mean, that's been shown over and over again. So what we need to do is steadily and strongly increase the price of gasoline at the same time that we're compelling the industry to make cars that are two, three, four times more efficient. All right. Uh, I want to move away from that, if we can, and just talk about uh, the implications of uh, Canada warming at twice the rate of the rest of the world. Uh, what sort of effects is this increasing uh, warmth uh, is it having, uh, you know, on our lives and uh, on our country? Well, it's certainly affecting our forests. We've seen a dramatic spike in forest fires. It's causing drier conditions in the prairies. It's causing the, thir- the thawing of permafrost, the melting of ice in the Arctic, and that changes weather patterns, and, it, and it, it's disruptive. And we're just going to see more and more intense and more frequent heat waves in the summer, and there'll be less chances to go skiing uh, and you know, enjoy some of our win- traditional winter activities uh, in, in the winter. Yeah, I'm just wondering how hard of a sell that is uh, for some people right now coming off of, uh, or we're trying to come out of a uh, another long, hard uh, winter. I think a lot of people are saying, listen, uh, the, we just uh, come through like a devastating uh, winter and uh, a lot of cold temperatures, a uh, record cold. Well, actually, for me, this was a fantastic winter and much better than the one before. I got out cross-country skiing 10 times and snowshoeing once. On there, but uh, uh, again, uh, when we look at uh, you know Canada uh, warming at twice the rate, uh, I just wanted to ask you uh, finally: uh, Is this a, a blip? Do you think, or is oh, this no. uh, something that's more of a, a long-term uh, trend? Oh no, this is long-terming, long-term, and it's going to accelerate uh, unless we take strong action now, which is what scientists have been urging for for decades now, for forty years. That you know, there's a big problem coming. And, you know, if you get five, six degrees, I mean, forget about worrying about not skiing. There's really serious, really serious impacts coming. Heat waves, drought, forest fires. And it's not just Canada. I mean, we're part of a global community. There will be indirect effects through on us through stabilization. And apart from that, 
you know, we're disproportionate. We, we emit more per capita than just about anyone else in the world, and people elsewhere are going to die as a result of that. All right, let me ask you then finally, uh, Danny, you know, this uh, report from uh, Canada's uh, Changing uh, Climate, uh, or sorry, uh, from the Environment and Climate Change Canada group, uh, they're warning that uh, the human factor is the most dominant one. Uh, is it drivers? Is it cars? Does, it, does that add up as the one thing we, we really need to crack down on? Or what is it for you? If you were to well, advise government, what is the number one thing we should do that would make the, the biggest difference? Well, I mean, one thing we can do is, is completely convert the electricity system to carbon-free um, using renewable, a mix of renewable resources. We need to dramatically strengthen building codes. We need to compel dramatic improvements in the efficiencies of cars and trucks and airplanes. And we need, and this is a hard one and one that's going to take the longest, we need to retrofit, renovate all the buildings in the country to make them two to three times more energy efficient. And that's going to take a lot of skilled labor. And I think in the long run, there may be a shortage of people to do the work. So it's not a case of losing jobs. It's just like, we're not going to be able to fill the jobs. There's going to be so many jobs in demand to do all the work that needs to be done. All right. I got to leave it there. Danny, I really appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. There goes Danny Harvey, professor in the Department of Geography and Planning at the University of Toronto on this uh, new report out that says Canada is warming at twice the global rate.